pulpit away from my need. I, I, I can't preach without a pulpit. It's uh, hard to do without a pulpit. Someone will get it. Hey, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans. I mean, of Revelation, rather, while someone gets my pulpit. And someone's mic is popping. And uh, here we go. Is that your mic popping? No. Mark, it's you. It's got to be Mark. Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, please, and we'll read there together in just a moment as we work our way through this great book of the Bible. Hey, and I want to say on this weekend, too, how great, one of the things I love about being uh, at FBCO is that we have so many military types here, so many veterans, so many people serve the country, and on Veterans Day especially, we ought to just say thank you to you, and God bless you. appreciate your service very much, very much. Uh, you notice in the bulletin is some information about a commitment card about the building fund. And if you are, uh, if you pray about what God wants you to do and then just fill that information out and you can put that in the, um, the offering receptacle in the atrium or on the Seven Hills side. That's not me, is it? Because if, if I explode, you'll just, someone talk, say a good thing about the Lord. And uh, this, the, the membership classes today. So if you want to join our church, that's how you do it. Or if you just want to find out more about our church, you can come at 4 o'clock. I teach that class today, 4 o'clock till 6, and we'd love to have you today. Well, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. They'll get this figure. You think it's me? Well, what did I do? I didn't, I didn't do anything. You want me to take this all the way off? Just this? Let's try it. Is it working? I'm sorry about that. Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to read there. And, um, you know, sometimes when there's distractions like that or things go on, sometimes it's just because the Lord, the Lord just does something special. He uses our um, inabilities and weakness. And, man, I don't want to ever forget that. It's like the church is never about me or even, for that matter, about you and me. It's about the Lord himself working in us and it's kind of good to, rem to remember that once in a while. So let's just really dial into what God wants to say. Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to read beginning with verse 4. The Bible says, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has set us free from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, says the Lord God, the one who is, the one who was, and the one and who is to come, the Almighty. Well, let's note some principles this morning as we look at this great uh, book of the Bible as we begin to kind of work our way through this and we'll see some unfolding and part of it is just God showing us more about himself and I, I want to encourage you to write these three notes down maybe you don't normally take notes but you, you'll follow along better if you try that give it an attempt today number one would you write down God shows us who he is God shows us who he is the book of Revelation is a revealing God shows us a little of what's going to come but God shows us 
a revealing of who he is. And starting with verse 4 and 5, I want us to note seven things about who God is. All right, can you handle seven things? Number one, note God is organizational. The Bible says here in verse 4, John to the seven churches in Asia. Now, there are more than seven churches in Asia, but we'll see these particular seven churches in Asia uh, more as the chapter unfolds, as the, as the next chapters unfold. And God reminds us that he is an organizational God. So who formed the church? Whose idea is the church? Is the church a, an idea that people came up with, or did God himself form the church? Well, God did. So we live in a generation, listen, I get that, and probably you've been affected by this as well, even if you name the name of Christ. Many who name the name of Christ in the Western world, not the persecuted church, but in the Western world, would say something like this. Church is no big deal, and it doesn't matter whether you attend or don't attend, whether you participate or don't participate. But can I tell you, that mindset does not come from the Scripture. It doesn't. It's common in our culture. It's common even in the kind of Christian culture, but it doesn't come from Scripture. God made the church, and he did it for a reason. Apparently, God believed we need other people in our lives. Now, we might not feel that way, and the enemy doesn't want us to think that way, but God does, and he made us with this need for each other. He describes the church as the body of Christ, and we're all different. We have different talents and gifts and backgrounds and abilities, but God unites us in Christ. We have the same Lord, and God made the church for a reason. There's a value to it, an inherent value to this. And I want you to see this because the world is not, the Christian world is not saying it. The Christian world is saying, worship God without the church. You don't need other people in your life. You're just fine and on and on and on. But God says something different. Could I just encourage you to consider God's way instead of the world's way on this? Could I encourage you to consider instead of what is convenient for you, what does God have to say? And God formed the church he is a God who puts us together, who organizes us together. Listen, you don't have to convince me that the church is filled with imperfect people. You don't have to convince me that the pastors of churches are imperfect people. You don't have to convince me that you're an imperfect person in this church or the people sitting around you. But we have a perfect Savior who puts imperfect people together for a reason, and there's a power and a benefit and a purpose behind it. I just want you to note that. There's a second thing I want you to note about who God is. He is caring. Verse uh, 4 says, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Grace and peace to you. These two concepts, grace and peace, remind us of the caring nature of God. Grace is where God loves us, though we don't deserve it. it. It wouldn't be grace if it's that God is paying us back. We've been so good, God loves us. It's that God loves you period. Not that you've done something, not that you provide something for him. We don't have anything to offer the Lord, but he loves us. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's God's grace. And God gives us peace. God wants us to have his peace, the peace that passes understanding, the peace that is greater than what the world knows. You know, people spend huge amounts of money trying to find peace, and they, they think, if I, could just, if I could just buy these things, then my life would have meaning and significance and purpose and 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 yet it eludes them or if i could get the right job or the right boss at that right job or if i could get the right relationship or if i could get a different relationship or if i could get a different spouse or different kids or different on and on we go and it was 
And God's the one, listen, whatever, wherever you're searching for peace, you're trying to find it in things or, or um, some career or the thousand places the world tends to look, I want you to note that God offers this. That's who he is. He's a God who cares. And he cares about you. And he shows that through his grace, and he shows that by the offer of peace. And then note number three, God is personal. The Bible says uh, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is and was and who is to come. To you. He speaks about John. He speaks through John, a person. God could do all that he does without us, but God is a personal God. God cares about you. I don't always understand why he does, but I know that he does. You're, you're personal to God. He knows your name. He knows your needs. He knows your problems. He knows the difficulties. He knows the parts that no one else knows. He knows the parts that you try to hide from yourself. He knows you. He knows the good and he knows the bad. He knows the parts that you like, the parts that aren't so likable. God knows. You are personal to him. I said recently, God doesn't have grandchildren. You don't, you don't come to the Lord through someone else. God wants a personal relationship with you, not for your parents, not from your pastor, not from some friend, but to you. And God, have you ever noticed how personal the Lord makes? Jesus is the example of the personal expression of God. Jesus came into this world personally, and he cared about real people. And sometimes they were the misfits and outcasts and people that maybe the world said that they don't seem very significant, but they were significant to God. And you're significant to God. Whether anyone in the whole world knows that or not, you're significant to God. He knows everything there is to know about you. He's an expert in you. And salvation is personal. God's relationship with you is a personal relationship. And so he sends this book to you, not just to everyone, not just to the world, but to you as a particular member of this world. Because God is a personal God. Number four, he is eternal. The Bible says, from the one who is the one who was, and the one who is to come. That's a full description. The one who is, God is working right now. The one who was, God has worked in the past. One who is to come, God is working in the future. God exists now, God has always been, and God is to come. So years, long years ago, many, many decades ago, when I was a really young pastor, I was next door neighbors with an old man who was just a mean old man. And he didn't have any friends. He had estranged all his family. I knew his sister. They were just estranged from each other. He was angry and bitter about everything in the world. And he was in the process as an old man of just drinking himself right into the grave. But, but he was my neighbor. I mean, we're just not, our, our homes are just so close to each other. And so I just always speak to him and try to talk to him. And, and I just, knew God wanted me to witness to this older man. And Mr. Mr. McLeod was his name, Mr. McLeod. And I knew I should share the gospel with Mr. McLeod. And every time I did, he had an excuse. He had, a, he had this, he said the same thing over and over. He, he believed it to be the kind of the reason why he didn't have to consider the gospel. So I'd try to share the gospel with him. And he would say this over and over. He'd, he'd say, uh, who created the creator? And it didn't matter what I said. It really was not an objection for him. It was just his, he thought a good way for him to say, I don't have to listen to the gospel because who created the creator? Now listen, there's only two options. 
either everything came from nothing or someone made this something. And it takes a great deal of faith to say there's someone who made this something, but it takes a great deal of faith to say everything came from nothing. And what God said in answer to Mr. McClode's question was, this is the God who was and is and is to come. I can look, I, I look at my past and there was a start. You know, I had a, had a beginning. But I can look into my future and I can say there's no, I mean, it's forever. One day my physical body will end, of course, but there's a forever, there's an eternity. And the Lord can look into the future and there's an eternity. And he can look in the past and there's an eternity. The one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. And that's the nature of who God is. He's eternal. It reminds me on occasion, there's nothing God, you know, there's nothing God hasn't seen or nothing God can't handle. There's something, there's nothing so new to God. Oh, I, this is a, oh, I don't know what to do with this one. God, God knows what he's doing. God is eternal and he, he is, he is right now. He's present, but he was, I can read what he's done. I can see his, I can see his work in history and I can, I can remember that he is to come, everything that is to come. I, will, I won't have to face that alone because there is a God who is, who was, and who is to come. And that's the very nature of God, that he is eternal. And then there's a God who is, number five, he's triune. That's a good, you like that word? I just, I gave that to you. Spell it like you want, triune. I'm using it to describe the nature of God. We sometimes use this word, the Trinity, to describe who God is. The nature of God, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Grace and peace to you from the one who is and was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. By the way, the, there's only one Holy Spirit. But the word seven is used often in the pages of the book of Revelation as a, as a, um, a, teach, a number that teaches us something more than just the number. It reminds us of the fullness of seven. It's about fullness and completion. And the Holy Spirit, one Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, but the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the Father and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 5 talks about Jesus Christ, the Son, the, who is the faithful witness, the one who witnesses to the Father and to the Son for that matter, and to the Holy Spirit, rather, for that matter. He's the firstborn from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the down payment or the promise of eternity for us, the promise that though our physical bodies will one day end, the death has no hold on us because of our relationship with Christ. That we can be forgiven and that we can have our eternity. And I love that God is, by his nature, triune, to use that weird term. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, but three ways of being, three parts of his very nature. That he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That he always has been and that he always will be. That he is bigger than we are, that he is different in some ways than we are. We're created in his image, and yet God is greater still and, and bigger, and he's eternal and triune. And then number six, he is Lord. That's a, a fundamental description of who God is. Uh, verse five says, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is Lord. So, and we have the great blessing of being in a democracy, and we can uh, participate in elections and sometimes they go like you want and sometimes they don't but i listen i don't want you to ever put your deepest hope in politics or politicians for that matter Politi every politician will ever have is flawed some more flawed than others you know listen some some like take that flaw 
to some special levels, I think, but nonetheless, they're all flawed. The best politician you would ever see would be a flawed politician. And so we are thankful for people who represent us or maybe who could help us in some way. Great, but our, our faith is not, it can't be in politics. We, we participate, we, we recognize the value of it, the importance of it, the significance of it. But Jesus is Lord. And he is Lord when things go our way and when they don't. He is Lord when we like what is happening when we don't, when circumstances are as we wish they were, but he's also Lord when they aren't as we wish they were. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You, you should see this fundamental truth of what it means to be a disciple, that Jesus is Lord. There's nothing more fundamental. When you say, what is a disciple? What's, what does a disciple look like? It's someone who recognizes Jesus is Lord. I mean, he's in charge. So instead of going my way, I go God's way because he's Lord. Now, I'm not Lord, he is. Instead of doing what the world says, I'm going to go God's way. Because the world is not Lord, he is Lord. Instead of doing just what's popular or expedient, I'm going to, I'm going to follow God's way because he's Lord. There's a, listen, there's something about that that sets us free when we, when we recognize that truth, that Jesus is Lord. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. So whoever, whoever would say, man, that guy's powerful. He leads a country or has some great army. Or, he's a ruler far greater, far greater. It's, it seems like everything in our world falls around the present, whoever's leading right now. No, he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I'm thankful for that. But there's a seventh thing I want you to know about who, who God is. And he and that is he's sovereign. He's sovereign. Verse 8. Let's skip down to verse 8. The Lord God says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The A and the Z. The beginning and the end, he says. Says the Lord God. The one who is. This is the second time he said this. The one who is. The one who was. The one who is to come. He's eternal. The Almighty. That is, he is reminding us that he is sovereign. That he is working in time gone by, time right now, time to come. That he is able to accomplish his purposes. That he is working whether we see that or not. That he is greater than our problems, greater than our sin, greater than our world, greater than our culture, greater than finances, greater than power or pleasure. He is sovereign. He is Lord of all. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's eternal. He's almighty. He is sovereign. It's good to know. Uh, who God is. So this, I think maybe it was last summer. Do you remember summer? Do you remember what summer was like? Wasn't that nice when it was summer? It just got up to such a shock yesterday and then so cold and feels like winter would be here, long, cold winter. Summer comes here too. You'll see the other seasons if you stay around here long enough. But I think it was last uh, year ago, summer, something like that. Uh, Vicki and I were out um, visiting a relative and it was a Sunday morning and we went to church in a small town out from here and we had not been to that church building before to that church before I, I think I'd maybe preached there long long years ago but I had not been there for many many years and so um we visited the church and uh, at the end of the service some people just were were greeted us and said hello to us which I love and you should greet the people around you. You should you know, say hello to the people around you. Try, like, just be kind to the people around you. I know being kind is hard for some of you. I get that. Try it. You might like it. 
You know, you might not enjoy being kind to other people. Just give it a whirl. Like maybe, I love that you love your friends, that's good, but maybe meet some people that you've not met, people who are sitting around you that you don't know. Just introduce yourself, say hello to them, be kind to them, be friendly. Everyone's friendly to their friends, but you be friendly to people who you don't know. So someone after this church service, there's a worship service, and then someone just spoke to us after the service, which is nice. It's kind. And they said, uh, it was a small town, they said, is this your first time here? And we said, uh, yeah, yeah. And they said, where are you from? And we said, I said, uh, we're from O'Fallon. And they said, where do you go to church? And I said, we go to First Baptist Church of O'Fallon. And they said, oh, they said, um, the lady said, do you know Doug Munton? <laughs> and I said, yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> I felt this, I felt you should be honest in your situation like this. You should just be honest. Yeah, he's a great guy. And Vicky, um, who was with me, said, uh, he is Doug Munton. And the lady said, oh, the, yeah, it was so cool. She said, we're so honored to meet you. And she didn't say this, and she doesn't like that I say this about her. But I, deep inside, I think she was thinking this. It's not that big of an honor. Really, it's not that big of an honor. I mean, I hope you get some bigger honor in life than meeting Doug. I mean, it's great. But uh, so... They, this couple had heard me preach. I think I did something for their association like some years before. I'd preached at something and they'd come to it. And they knew who I was, but they didn't know me. And I had met them apparently there, but I didn't know them. Can I tell you, there are a lot of people who, they know about God a little bit. They know a little bit about what he's done or who he is, but they don't know him. And God just gives us, God gives us his word so we can know him. We can know who he is. We can know that God is all of these things I mentioned. That God is organizing us into his church. That's his nature, that he's caring, that he's Lord, that he's sovereign. God wants us to know these things. I am amazed how many Christians can can have a copy of God's word in their home, on their phones, on their tablets, and never really get to know who God is. So we're going to preach about who God is. We're going to sing about who God is. Our life groups are going to, going to study about who God is. We, you can read the Bible for yourself. Do you want to know who Jesus is? The gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, describe in great detail more of who Jesus is. We can find out from other parts of the New Testament more about the purposes and plans of God. You can read that for yourself. You can read the Bible for yourself. Read that New Testament for yourself. Find out what God has to say. Find out who God is. God shows us who he is. And the book of Revelation is a, not only is it revealing to us the future, but it reveals to us who God is. God wants us to know. He wants you to know more about him. Just as he knows you, he wants you to know more of him. He wants you to know his purposes and his plans and his nature. He wants you to know that he's sovereign and lord and triune and eternal and personal and caring and organizational he wants you to know these things and he shows us who he is there's a second principle would you write this down god shows us what he does god shows us what he does not just who he is but what he does and i love that god tells us who he is but he shows us more of who he is by what he does and so in verses five and following we see a little more of the actions of God. And I want you to note three particular, particular th- uh, things God does that we should f- 
find noteworthy from this text. Number uh, God loves. God loves. So let's go to uh, verse 5. The Bible says, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins. To him who loves us. Now this is, this is something God tells us over and over. He loves us. He loves us. Did you know God loves you? That you matter to him? Now I, don't, I do not understand why God loves us. But I know that he loves us. And if I ever wonder if he does, I can see the cross. The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us. Did you know he demonstrates it? In that while we were still sinners, that is, we didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. That's his evidence. That's the, the demonstration, the cross of Jesus. And maybe some of you have felt, maybe you felt like insignificant and that God would, why would God care about you? And does God really, I mean, do you really matter to God? cross is a reminder that you, you matter. I'm not just saying about the other people. I'm saying you matter to God. The cross. You matter to God. I don't understand why fully. I just know that. He loves you. And he tells us there's an old um, like cartoon kind of for adults called uh, uh, King of the Hill. Do you know this old King of the Hills, several seasons of that. Hank and Peggy Hill are these two fictional characters from the great state of Texas. And Hank's not the kind of guy who just expresses his emotions well. And so to, here's what he said to Peggy to ask her to express his affection to her. He said, um, I wrote it down, he said this. He said on his proposal, he said this. I'm not unfond of you, he said. That should be on a card somewhere, a Valentine's Day card. I'm not unfond of you. If you guys are like saying, man, I'd like to do something romantic for my, for my girlfriend, just write that on it. Make a card. I'm not unfond of you. That's just the kind of thing that they'll make Hallmark movies about that. I'm not unfond of you. Well, does God just say it? Because a lot of people just, they say, God says it all the time. I love you. I love you. I love you. But he doesn't just say it. He shows it. The cross is the demonstration God loves you. Now, the second thing God does is he forgives. The Bible says to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. Well, if you've grown up in this nation, you say, I'm already free. Freedom, and we use that word all the time. But we're not free. Not spiritually. We're not free spiritually. I'm thankful for those who defend our political freedom. I'm grateful. Really, it's a tremendous blessing we take for granted. But sin puts us in bondage. I know it's not marketed that way, but that's the reality. It puts us in bondage. And you see that every once in a while. If you go far enough down the path of sin, you begin to see the bondage because it looks like freedom. It's marketed as, this will be so great. Throw off the shackles of your parents' uh, expectations or what the world's, what the church says you're supposed to do. Or throw those off and you'll find freedom in sin and and then, have you, ever, have you ever known someone with addiction? Have you ever, like, struggled with pornography? You know something of the power of that, that addictive nature of sin, how it puts you in bondage? You know, the enemy doesn't tempt you to sin because he's, like, trying to find a great way for you to have a happier life and really enjoy. That's not it. That's not the goal. He wants to put you in bondage. That's what he wants to do. And the Lord says he sets us free 
from the power of sin. Sin that leads to death and separation from God and, and eventually to hell. God wants to set us free. He, in fact, the Bible says, speaking to believers, He has set us free from our sins. He's already set us free. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, He's set you free. And if you've not, today you could find that forgiveness. Because, in fact, note how he, how he says it here. He has set us free from our sin. How? Well, how do we have this? By His blood. It's right there in the text. By His blood. Jesus paid the price for your freedom. So there's a common saying that you military types would have heard a million times, and every American ought to know that freedom's not free. It's costly. Well, the freedom that we have came at the great sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. He took my penalty on the cross. It should have been my blood on the cross. Jesus died for me. It was my sins that produced the guilt. Jesus died for me, and he forgives me, sets me free by his blood. In the Old Testament, there would be an animal. It would be sacrificed. It's like it's, it's a reminder that there's a, a, sin always leads to death. It always leads to bondage. And there'd be a sacrifice. But in the New Testament, we see a different sacrifice. We see a different lamb. And throughout the pages of the book of Revelation, we're going to see Jesus described several times as the lamb of God. The lamb who was slain. That is, Jesus gave his blood for us. It's not the sacrifice of an animal. It's the sacrifice of the perfect one who died in our place. He loves, he forgives, and then notice, thirdly, he empowers. He empowers. So the Bible says in verse 6, he made us a kingdom. That is, God gives us a task bigger than us. We're a part of this giant universal church, the work of the kingdom. Our life is not just about us. It's not just about me. It's about the kingdom. We're a part of something big and giant and huge, something with people from every tribe and race and background and every part of our country, every language is spoken. God is working in this world, and we become a part of a kingdom, something bigger than the politics of our age, something bigger than the the earthly realm, the kingdom. And the Bible says we're made priests to his God and Father. So in the Old Testament, there was a priest who did the sacrifice. The, you may remember the people went through Aaron to get to God or through the high priest. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in on behalf of the people. The people didn't go into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest on behalf of the people. And he would bring the sacrifice of an animal and he would sprinkle it in the Holy in the Holy of Holies, at the Ark of the Covenant, on the top of that, it was called the mercy seat. He'd sprinkle the blood on the Day of Atonement, and it was a reminder of the penalty of sin, and he would represent the people before God. And listen, there's no one that stands between you and God now. You can go directly to God. The Bible says you become, in salvation, you become a priest. It's the priesthood of the believer himself. You become a priest before God. You don't have to go through me to reach God. You don't have to go through your parents to reach God. You don't have to go through your life group to reach God. Lots of people can help us on that journey, but you can go straight to God. You confess your sins to God himself. You pray, and God in heaven hears you. What a privilege that we can go to God, not someone else going to God on our behalf, doing what we can't do, but God lives in us, the Holy Spirit in us. And he empowers us to be 
a part of a kingdom and to be priests to his God and Father. And so the Bible says to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we just praise the Lord because of this. We sing praise to him because he is worthy of our praise. We worship him because he is worthy of our worship. We recognize his glory, his dominion, that it's eternal. And we say to that, amen. We recognize that he empowers. God shows us who he is and God shows us what he does. But there's a third thing I want you to know. God shows us what he will do. And the book of Revelation is going to show us a lot of what God is going to do. We see in the pages of the Bible what God has done. We can see in the pages of our own lives what he is doing. But we can see in the pages of Revelation what he will do. And I want you to note three things God is going to do, that he will do. Number one, he will return. He will return. Verse 7 says, look, he is coming with the clouds. So the Bible tells us Jesus is going to return. There's going to be a rapture. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. There's going to be a return of the Lord. When I was in college, there was a, the Billy Graham Museum was built on, my, on the college of, my college campus. And it had a museum of evangelists. I know it sounds kind of crazy. I, I loved it. I was growing in my faith. And I, I love the sink under the story of God's work in evangelism throughout the history of our country and beyond, and the, the work of Billy Graham, but really the work of God. But they also had this little part that's kind of more personal, where you could walk through the little path and come to the cross, remind us of the nature of sin, the cross, Jesus' death there, and then you'd turn that corner. It's really moving to be at the cross, reminded Jesus died for us and he could forgive us. And then we went into this room that reminded us of heaven and that we would be forgiven of our sins. And there was a room that was, uh, had like mirrors and uh, bottom to top uh, music playing and uh, pictures of clouds and you felt like you were in the clouds and then as soon as you came out of that room it's always that's a moving room for me to think about eternity but then it had the words of Acts chapter 1 chiseled into the side of the wall and it said these words it said after he had said this he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight talking about the Lord Jesus ascending to the Father and while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? That's what I'd been doing. Every time I went through this place, I'd, I'd stand looking into the heavens and imagining heaven. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. They said, these messengers from God, Jesus is going to return. And friend, let me tell you, he's going to return. Whether you're ready or not. The Bible tells us we ought to live prepared for the return of the Lord. It could happen at any time. I don't know when that is, nor do you. But the Lord is going to return. And we ought to live ready. Do you know him as Savior? And if not, why not today give your life to Christ? Your life is but a vapor, the Bible says. And one day soon, the Lord's going to return. Christian, are you living your life recognizing he's going to return? Soon, I think those who live their life best in this world recognize that one day soon they will stand before God and they see the urgency of following the Lord and not wasting a, this brief moment of life God gives to us. He will return. And number two, he will reveal. The Bible says in verse 7, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. We're going to see who Jesus really is. Everyone will see. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Everyone will see. We'll, for some it will be too late, but all will see that Jesus is who he says. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord, the Bible says. For some it will be too late. But for many, people from every part of this world 
will recognize who he is and bow before him one day. And he will return one day and he will reveal to all who he is. All will see that. For some too late, but all will see. And then number three, he will fulfill. And the Bible, verse 7, ends with these words. So it is to be. Amen. So it is to be. That is, what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. The word amen means so be it or truth or certainty. This is, it's going to happen. It's sort of like saying, so it will be, so be it. God, you say this is going to happen, and it's going to happen. Everything you say in your word is going to take place, whether we like it or not, whether the world agrees or not. Everything you say is going to happen. And so, Lord, so it will be. It is to be exactly as you say. And so I say in my life, so be it. Lord, I want to recognize that you're going to fulfill all that you've said. All the promises you've made in the past will come true. All the promises you make in this book of the Bible about the future and about eternity will come true. And so I say, so it will be. So be it. God shows us who he is and what he does and what he will do. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, I, I suspect some of you, as I've said these words, God has just convicted you that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. And I want to ask you today to give your life to Christ. Knowing he's going to return one day soon, give your life to Christ. The Bible tells us to repent of our sins. Will you just, where you are, God, I'm a sinner and I'm going to turn from that sin. Place your trust in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you. Place your faith in him. Receive him as Savior. Ask him to save you. And he'll save you right where you are. This day you can be saved. Repent and believe. Trust him. Receive him as Savior. Christian would just say, God, I, I want to recognize again. You give me this book of the Bible to remind you of who you are and what you have done and what you will do. And so, Lord, I want to live my life in a way that counts. Help me to see that I'm going to stand before you one day soon. Help me to live a life that counts. And Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word, the truth you teach us. Use this book in our lives to help us to understand who you are. You've given it to us so we can see what will happen in the future, but also so we can understand who you are. Help us to live for you. Help us to live for you as Lord, the sovereign God of the universe who, who is, who was, and who will be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.